Amen. Okay, let's do this. Uh, I want to start off with a, a passage from John chapter 17. Uh, Jesus, he's in the garden, he's praying. And, and listen, he knows that in mere moments, Judas and the soldiers would come and that the arrest, the beatings, the mockings, the suffering, and the march to the cross was about to begin. But he's not praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples, for his guys, for his friends. He's praying that the Father would protect them, that the Father would guard them and keep them safe from the evil one. He's praying that, that, that the Father would make them holy and would teach them his truth. Uh, the word is truth. And then we read these words. Jesus says, I, I not only pray for these, but I also for those who believe in me through their message. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through his message. Do you know what that is? That's, that's us. Uh, which means that Jesus is praying that the Father will protect us, that the Father will guard us, that the Father will keep us safe from the evil one, that the Father will make us holy, and that the Father will teach us his truth. And then Jesus prays the following for both us and his disciples. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so the world may believe you sent me. I've given them the glory you have given me. That's crazy. We don't have time to dig into that one, but think about that one for a while. I've given them the glory you gave me. May they be one as we are one, I in them, and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Let's pray. Now, Father, may you, may you bless the reading of the word. May you bless the study of your word this morning. Father, thank you for being there in our darkest places, in our highest places. Thank you for being a God who chases us, who knocks down walls, who tears down lies just to be with us. And Father, I pray that you would just open up our hearts and our minds, that we would hear your truth. God, just help me um, to speak for you this morning in a way that brings honor to you, that points how awesome you are. God, help us all to realize that we worship a God that's alive and well, that his word is living and active. And that even as we sit in this room today, that you are surrounded by millions upon millions of angels who are singing your praise and your glory. And that one day, God, all the nations, every tongue and every language will bow down and say that Jesus is Lord. So God, just help us today to lean in, be reverent towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, welcome to Maple Grove. Like, seriously, we're glad that you're here this morning. And welcome to week four in our series, 2020 Vision. And remember, that this series is about having visual acuity, about having clarity of vision in six of the most important areas of your life. It's about seeing Jesus, seeing the church, seeing your relationships, seeing yourself, seeing your work, and seeing your assets as God wants you to. And so far we've talked about seeing Jesus for who he is, seeing the church for who God made her to be, the hope of the world. And last week we talked about seeing yourself through his eyes. And remember those times during the week when the image of you looks distorted? Remember that it's not you, that it's the, it's the mirror, right? 
I don't know about you, but as for me, I've chosen to make my maker my mirror. And, and therefore, any of those times when culture or other people or even the things I do wrong try to distort how I see myself, I will simply tell them, you did not make me, therefore you do not get to, to define me because my maker is my mirror. I choose to look at myself and see myself through the eyes of the Father's love. Amen? That'd change your lives, wouldn't it? This morning, we're going to talk about seeing your relationships as an opportunity. And listen, I don't care what your status is on Facebook, what you put there. Every one of us, our relational status is we are in one, right? In fact, in this room, uh, we have people who are spouses, parents, children, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, grandparents, grandchildren, friends, co-workers, classmates. And listen, since every one of us is in a relationship, it kind of makes sense for us to be able to see those clearly, see those the way that we're supposed to see them. And listen, just as people struggle with visual acuity when it comes to seeing Jesus, seeing the church, and seeing themselves, some people also are lacking visual acuity when it comes to how they see and view their relationships. And here's the deal. You do not have 20-20 vision in regards to your relationship if you see your relationship as simply an opportunity to have your needs met. If you see them as simply an opportunity to have somebody else take care of you. You don't have the correct vision about your relationships if you see them as an opportunity to help you feel good about you, you know, to boost your own self-esteem. Uh, you're not seeing your relationship clearly if you see them simply as an opportunity to try to, to try to fix yourself or to increase your standing with your peers or to distract yourself from your problems and your difficulties. And the next view kind of uh, applies specifically to like a marriage relationship, right? Uh, if you simply see a marriage relationship as an opportunity to uh, achieve financial security, to experience physical intimacy, you're not seeing it clearly, right? If you see your relationship in marriage as simply an opportunity to remove the pressure from parents and friends, oh, you're not dating? You're not married by now? Uh, then you're not seeing them clearly. If you see your marriage relationship because you're simply afraid to be on your own, that's not how it's supposed to be. And so this morning, I, I want to talk about seeing relationship as an opportunity as the opportunity that God intends for them to be. You see, God wants you and I to see our relationship as an opportunity for at least four things. An opportunity to experience community, an opportunity to develop the attitude of Christ, an opportunity to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, and an opportunity to show the world that we are his disciples. And so let's unpack those statements. And listen, if you want to see your relationships clearly as God wants you to, I would encourage you to lean into God's truth this morning. Okay, let's unpack the first one. Seeing your relationships as an opportunity to experience community. If you have your Bibles or your Bible app or it'll pop up on the screen, we're reading from uh, the very beginning. Now right past the table of contents of your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, 
Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. In your notes, if you would, in your circle, God created, the Spirit was hovering, and God said. Now, question, do you see it? Do you see it right there tucked away in those three verses, the first three verses of the Bible? I understand the essence of the entire universe, the essence of all existence is right there in those ten, ten words. God created, the Spirit of God was hovering, and God said. You see, when you boil it all down, the essence of all of life can be summed up in just one word, and that word would be community. And listen, community has been around since before creation, and therefore it is more foundational than the universe itself. And so right here in Genesis chapter 1, we see the divine community working together. The Father creating, the Spirit hovering, and the Son speaking. An eternal, perfect relationship connected together, working together, creating together, oneness in its purest form. Understand, God has always existed, and God has always been in community. Perfect community. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Spirit. In fact, they are the very definition of community and oneness. I mean, when you look at the community of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, you don't find them focusing on themselves, but you find them focusing on each other. Uh, the Spirit points to Jesus and says, look at him, listen to him, learn from him, follow him, worship him, be devoted to him, serve him, love him, be preoccupied with him. And we look at the Son, we, we, don't, we don't see him walking around saying, I'm the greatest. Rather, Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than me. And he said the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. And according to Mark, Jesus submitted to the Spirit when the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And Jesus said to his guys before he ascended into heaven to go back to the Father, he just said, I can't wait until you get to meet the Spirit. And then there's a father. Twice in the Gospels, we hear God say, this is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Notice the father didn't say, listen to me first, then listen to him. He didn't say, listen to him only if he agrees with me. So again, the essence of all of life can be summed up in just one word, and that word is community. And listen, community together, relationship, is, the, is as eternal as the infinite God himself. Get it? Good. And, and not only do we see the divine community in Genesis 1, uh, we see God getting busy creating an indescribable universe. And after placing billions of galaxies with billions of stars in place, God zeroed in on his pet project. A small planet on the outer fringes of, of one of those galaxies, the third rock from the sun. And listen, the infinite God he not only pumped into this planet, incredible beauty, majestic snow-capped mountains, fast-flowing rapids, roaring waterfalls, vast canyons, wide oceans, jagged cliffs, sunrises and sunsets, but he also poured out life everywhere. 
You know, I always find it amazing that scientists keep and spend a lot of money hoping to find some form of primitive life on Mars or somewhere else. Uh, no luck so far. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But on the other hand, Earth is full of life. I mean, if you take a, a shovel of dirt or a cup of water from a stream and you put it under a microscope, it is teeming with life. Earth is most definitely God's pet project. And then on day six, God got ready for what is the reason behind everything, which is us. Then God said, let us make man our own image and our own likeness. What does that mean? Well, obviously God could not reproduce himself because he's absolute and therefore cannot be copied. But God did the next best thing. He created man in his image. And to be in God's likeness or image involves many things like being able to think, being able to reason, to plan, to dream, to feel, to choose or create. But listen, I'm convinced that its core, being in the image of God, is about relationships. It's about connecting, enjoying the relationship we can have with God and connecting, enjoying the relationship we can have with one another. Because that's true, God said the following, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. You see, when God created Adam, at first it was just, it was just Adam. And yeah, he had a perfect world to live in and all kinds of animals around him. And he even got to name them, right? A lot of animals. So I think he started off really creative, you know, hippopotamus, armadillo, Orangutan, chimpanzee, towards the end he's going, cow, <laughs> dog, ox. That's all he's got. I got two letters and I'm done. And even though it looked as if he had everything he needed, no health problems, no financial problems, no career concerns, no relational turmoil, no sin, no separation from God, God still said something was missing in his life. See, Adam was alone and God said this was not good. Why? Because man is created in God's image, and the very essence of God is, is community. Understand, we were created not only to connect with God, but to connect with each other. Because together is better. Together is power. We were not created to run this race alone. The Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. And I think we know that's true. And you know what? I, Today, loneliness is pretty much an epidemic. Uh, this week, I came across a, a study done by Cigna uh, just last year. They've been doing it, I think, since 2017, a survey of 20,000 adults over the age of 18. Um, the, 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 the track, you know, who's lonely? And, and uh, the way they define loneliness is this way. As emotional state created when people have fewer social contacts and meaningful relationships than they would like. Relationships that make them feel known and understood. Essentially, if you feel lonely, you are lonely. And here, here are the stats they found for 2019. I think we have those. Crazy. 61% of Americans report feeling lonely. That's up from 54% in 2018. It was 47% in 2017. 49% of Gen Zers, you know, they're 18 to 22, report feeling lonely. 71% of millennials 
23 to 38-year-olds report feeling lonely. 50% of boomers, that's, that's where I am, uh, report feeling lonely. Here's some more stats they had. 27% rarely or never feel like somebody understands them. That's like, like, that's about a little over one in four people in this room. 43% sometimes or always feel like their relationships are not meaningful. It's about half of us in this room, statistically. 20% rarely or never feel close to people. 47% never have any meaningful in-person social interactions. And 18% said there are zero people who know them well. And fortunately, most of us know that, and from personal experience, that there's no sting like the sting of loneliness. I'm pretty confident most of us have been there and done that when it comes to loneliness, but we don't like to think about it or talk about it that much because as Mother Teresa says, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society and no one wants anyone else to know that they are a leper. And so God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a companion who will help him. Help him do what? Help him overcome this problem of being alone of not being in community, of not being in relationship. I mean, think about it. Throughout scriptures, uh, we see so many powerful examples of people doing life together. Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Aaron, Caleb and Joshua, David and Jonathan, David and his mighty men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther and Mordecai, Peter and John, Paul and Silas, Barnabas and Mark, Paul and Timothy, I mean, in Paul's letters, he names over 100 people by name that he did life with. And I can guarantee you that their stories would be different if they did not have those friends to run the race with. And even when Jesus walked the earth, he needed friends. He needed community. I mean, he had the 12 close friends, disciples, who he chose, Mark says, that they might be with him. And yeah, sure, they were with him so that he could prepare them and train them, but there was also this aspect of community. You see, being in relationship was just who Jesus is, so it makes perfect sense that when Jesus put on flesh and walked this earth, he would desire community, right? Now, he had the multitudes, but he had the 12, right? He had the 12 people that he was kind of close to. Within the 12, he had what? He had the three, right? James, John, and Peter, who were a little bit closer, who got to experience a little bit more intimacy with Jesus. And then there was John, and according to John, you know, he was the one that Jesus loved. So maybe Jesus had a best friend, according to John, and maybe he was because on the cross, what did Jesus say to John as he looked at Mary? Son, behold your mother. And that night in the garden, what did, Jesus, did he go to pray alone? No, he took his friends with him. He took the guys with him that he had been doing life with for the past three years. And my point is that if Jesus needed community and needed relationships, how much more do we, right? I mean, we all need somebody to lean on. Uh, we all need people who care about us. Uh, we all need people who we can relax and be ourselves around. People who will encourage us, support us, challenge us, love us, and be there for us. People who know us, accept us, believe in us, and bring out the best in us. We all need what I call the three o'clock in the morning friend, right? You call them at three o'clock in the morning instead of saying, you know what time it is? They say, hey, is everything okay? What can I do to help? I understand because we were created in the image of God, we need to see our relationships as an opportunity to experience community. 
and to live in meaningful relationships. And listen, when we do not have meaningful relationships, we will suffer some consequences whether we realize it or not. One thing that will happen, we will lose perspective. And that's because we have no objective voice calling us towards balance. Right? Our, 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 our lows tend to be lower and our highs tend to be higher. And, and our point of view becomes clouded because things seem to be worse or better than they really are. And simple decisions can be bigger than life and decision-making decision can become difficult when there's no one to point us back to true north. And we can lose perspective as believers in Christ that we're in a battle. Every day we're in a battle. And we have an enemy, and he plays for keeps. That our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against this enemy, and his chief goal in destroying us is to get us what? Isolated. Right? Get us isolated. Sheep are never attacked in herds. They're attacked when they're isolated from the rest of the flock. Another consequence of having no meaningful relationship is people begin to have a fear of intimacy. When you've never had a close relationship, you're fearful of ever deepening one because you're afraid, well, if people get to know the real me, then they're not going to like me. And so rather than connect, they disconnect because they'd rather be disconnected than face the fear of being rejected. Selfishness is another consequence. Listen, when the sum total of a person's life is defined by his schedule, his agenda, his needs, and his desires, chances are he's suffering from a good dose of selfishness. And over time, a disconnected person can become self-absorbed. As he gives into the fatal byproduct of disconnectedness, self-centeredness. And when that happens, life is lived and seen through a very narrow lens. And, and another, another consequence of not having meaningful relationships is poor health. Understand, people who live longer are at a much greater people who live alone, rather, are at a much greater risk of sickness and poor health. In this book, everybody's normal till you get to know them. And you look around the room, you're saying, yep, that's true. Great book by John Ortberg. Um, he refers to a study that tracks the lives of 7,000 people over a nine-year period. Here's what they say. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol, or drug use, but had strong social lives, ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. And he concludes, in other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than to eat broccoli alone. <laughs> Bottom line, living without meaningful connection, without community, is not good because it's not what God intended, right? And, and meaningful relationships is, is why Jesus, like, invented the church. Like, if Jesus were here today and you were to say, hey, Jesus, where's the church? I mean, he, he, he wouldn't point to a building and he, he wouldn't give you an address. 
and said that Jesus would explain to you how the church is this massive group of people, his body, his family, living on this planet who fear him and follow him, are faithful to him, who love him, and who are doing life together in community. Listen, we look at the church in the book of Acts. Man, we see that he understood this. I mean, there's no personal or singular pronouns in the description of the early church, like here in Acts 2. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. And listen, experience in community, it's, you know, it's why we do life groups at Maple Grove, right? And that's why we want to do life groups at Maple Grove better in the year 2020. And our, our goal of our life groups really is just in these, these three phrases. It's about sharing life, pursuing God, and investing in others. See, life groups are about sharing our lives together. It's about forming this community where you can relax, you can be yourself, you can share your joys and your sorrows, you can support each other, you can encourage each other. It's a place where people, you can know and be known, love and be loved, serve and be served, right? It's about sharing life. And it's about pursuing God. See, in our life groups, we want to encourage everybody to pursue God. Encourage them to pursue God in three ways. Hey, by, by being in, you know, a Sunday church service where you're worshiping and you're hearing the word, where you're taking communion, where you're praising God. Encouraging the members of the group, hey, to, hey show up the life group so we can be here together and learn about God. And encourage the members of the life group, hey, are you in the word and are you praying? Do you have your own walk with God? And the investing in others aspect is about, yeah, we, we, we don't be self-absorbed. And this is where we encourage each other, hey, try to form And the people in your sphere of influence, get to know them better and try to have a spiritual conversation and hopefully lead that friend to Jesus. Investing in others is about as a group saying, hey, we need to do something as a group or individually to our community to show the love of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's why we do life groups. And um, Christy Lopez is in a life group here, um, a bunch of ladies that meet on Friday afternoon and yeah, I asked her, hey, would you make me a video on your phone? And, and she says, she made it and said I could use it. So here it is. She's back there. Good job. My name is Christy Lopez. And- All right, Christy. Good job. And, and I know that group, whenever someone is struggling, they'll send out a, a quick text to say pray for me. And guess what people in the group do? They pray. And guess what they get to experience? God answering prayers. Yeah, we're going to be kicking off some new life groups coming in March. Um, you can sign up on your connection card today. Say, I'm interested in being one. Um, and also, um, beginning in March, um, uh, we don't have the exact date yet, but all our life groups will be studying. We've done this before three years ago, um, the Pray for One book. Uh, there's nothing more important than helping lost people find Jesus and change their eternal destinies, right? And nothing more important than that, right? To see how many people we can have on both arms when we cross the finish line. And this is a great book. And, and uh, and this is a book, it's a seven-week study. So if you're not in a life group, hey, for seven weeks, jump in one. Exist in one, one of the new ones, and, and talk about um, how you can help people 
and develop a passion for lost people because it'd be great to just see so many people getting saved, right? Anybody against that here? I don't think so. Uh, all right. Hey, we're going to unpack the next three statements, but I really wanted to spend a lot of time on that one, so do, do not fear. Even though there's three points left, I never worry about the points being balanced, right? I'm an unbalanced person, and that's just the way it is. But doesn't mean these aren't important. Seriously. Uh, next one is seeing your relationship as an opportunity to develop the attitude of Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You ever done that? Ever broke that one? Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. I'm talking about God here. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, so what is this attitude that, that we're to develop, this attitude of Christ that we're to develop in our relationship? The attitude of humility. The attitude of valuing others above ourselves. The attitude of not looking out for our own interests, but to the interests of others. The attitude of being a servant. Question. What do you think would happen in your relationships that you're in right now if that was your approach? Parents, spouses, kids, friends. What do you think the impact would be if your attitude was, I'm going to be humble, I'm going to serve them, right? I'm going to look to their interests, not mine, all right? I'm going to to value them above myself. Do you think it would be a positive impact? I mean, what if in every single relationship you tried to outserve them? Everyone you're in, you say, I'm going to outserve my spouse, I'm going to outserve my kids, I'm going to outserve my parents. What if your attitude and your relationship was, I'm going to leverage all my time, all my effort, and all my assets for your benefit rather than your own? By the way, that's what Jesus did for us, right? I mean, talk about a game changer, right? See, the ultimate game changer in relationship is when you have the attitude of, it's not about me, it's about everyone else. And listen, I don't have any statistics other than I know it's true. (laughs) According to a recent survey done in Steve's mind, uh, (laughs) I think most of the times that relationships fail is because we have the exact opposite approach, right? Hey, serve me, meet my needs, I'm more valuable than you, right? Therefore, the things we do and don't do, the things we say or don't say is all about us. And here's the deal. If we see our relationships as an opportunity to develop the attitude, the mindset of Jesus, to serve and not be served, to give and not get, I am convinced, <laughs> 100% convinced that it will have a positive impact on your life. If you're in this room today, you're in a relationship, and don't wait for the people you're in relationship to go first. If you love Jesus, you go first. You go first. And if three months later, two months later, if they ain't going, you still keep going first, right? It's always the right thing to do the right thing, right? And I was thinking this morning, you know, like after Jesus did this, like the very next verse, he's beaten to death, says that, Therefore, God also highly exalted him. 
And I think the principle applies that when we humble ourselves in our relationships, God will exalt us, God will lift us up, and just maybe he might lift up that relationship, that relationship you thought would never come back, that would never get going again. Maybe God would just lift that up if you would just have the mindset of Jesus. Amen? And next is seeing your relationship as an opportunity to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. By the way, it's not fruits, there's one fruit. I know we have our, you know, what is my, my, mine's pink lady apples, man. They're like, they're so good. They're amazing. I love, I love pink lady apples. Um, um, but it's not fruits of the Spirit, right? Like, you, you don't have like, here's my favorite fruit of the Spirit, right? No, it's, there's one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not going to spend a lot of time here, but just want to point out the obvious. It's pretty much impossible to grow in the Spirit, grow in this fruit of the Spirit by yourself. Understand, the relationship that you're in right now are the gym where the fruit of the Spirit is developed in your life through resistance training. All right? Resistance training, right? You're, you know what that is, right? It's where your muscles are working against a weight or a force. It could be bands. It could be free weights. It could be your own body weight. Cool question. Have any of your relationships ever produced an opposing force that you had to push against? Have you ever faced resistance in a relationship when you try to be patient? When you try to be kind, when you try to be gentle, when you try to be loving, when you try to be peaceful, when you try to be self-controlled. Seriously, we need to see, hey, you know what? I'm in a relationship. I'm going to the gym. I don't even have to pay for a yearly membership, right? I'm in there all the time. I'm, I'm going to the gym. I'm going to face some resistance training. And relationships will teach us how to be patient, how to be kind, right? Because you, do you always want to be kind to your spouse and patient? No. I know I don't, right? You know, or to your kids, right? It, that's resistance. But if it's the right thing, you're going you're gonna, to you're, you're gonna push against that. But when you do the right thing, you're going to grow in your patience. You're going to grow to be loving. You're going to grow to be forgiving. Believe when I tell you, you don't have to look for it, right? The resistance is out there waiting for you already, right? Don't create resistance, right? It's already there. And, and here's the final one. See your relationship as an opportunity to show the world that you are his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me, I am in you. May they be in us so the world may believe that you have sent me. Uh, Jesus says that our relationships, our, our oneness, is the way that we show the world we're his. It's not t-shirts and bumper stickers and coffee mugs and church buildings. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But he says it's in our relationships. It's the way that Jesus followers do relationships. See, the way that we do relationships with each other in our homes, with where we work and where we live and where we go to church, it's supposed to stand out. It's supposed to be noticed. In this dark and broken world. Like, oh, that's what a good marriage looks like? That's what it looks like to 
deal with struggles and push through those struggles in your marriage and in your relationships. That's what it looks like to put other people's needs before your own. You see, without the church, without people, without community, the mission of Jesus will not be accomplished, right? Because that's how the world knows. Jesus said in the upper room, I have, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, God is not trying to save a bunch of individuals. He's trying to make a new people. A people who will both reflect and represent him in this world. A people who will show this world the power and the beauty of being in a relationship with him and a relationship with one another. And here's the deal. Our community, how we do life together, our relationships, not just in this room or in your Sunday school class, but in your home and where you work, right? It's how we do that. Our relationships are what makes our message believable. It's what draws people in. It's what allows God to add to our number daily those who are being saved. I like what Francis Schaeffer said. Our relationship with Jesus... Okay. You know me, I'm in fifth, seventh gear, and my gears just grinded a little bit. Um, our relationship with each other is their criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is a final apologetic. We're all in relationships, right? And God wants us to view them the right way. He wants you to see them as an opportunity to experience community, as an opportunity to develop the attitude of Christ, as an opportunity to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, and as an opportunity, right, to, to show the world that you are his disciples. Amen? I'm going to read this verse, and then we're going to wrap up. My prayer is not for them alone. Pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I wonder if he pictured us right now today when he was praying. Seeing us today here on the February. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me, and I am in you. And this is kind of crazy. May they also be in us. You see, there, there is an incredible invitation on the table this morning, and it's been there for 2,000 years. An invitation, could you go back to that slide, please, the last one, if you don't mind? Um, may they also be in us. See, is that crazy? God is inviting you. God has had this relationship since before time. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, and God is inviting you to be a part of that relationship. Is that crazy? Talk about an invitation. And that's on the table. And he's also inviting us to do and make the effort to be in a oneness, a meaningful relationship with one another. Will it be convenient? No. Will it take effort? Yes. Will you get frustrated? Yes. Will you want to quit? Yes. Right? 
Is it worth it? Absolutely, right? It's what Jesus prayed for. You know, and we can be a part of answering that prayer. Heavenly Father, crazy. God, we could give you a list of the people who do not want to be in a relationship with us. People who, though they may not say it, are like the little kids who are toddlers who say, you're not my friend anymore. <laughs> I don't want to be your friend. But we know people who don't care to be in a relationship with us. And the fact that you, Father, you, Jesus, you, Spirit, you want a relationship with us is just crazy. And I just pray for those in this room that know that invitation, Lord, is always open. I pray for those in this room who need to make a decision, Lord, to surrender their lives to you, to repent of their sins, Lord, to profess their faith in you and to be buried in baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And God, I, I pray for those who right now in this room that are feeling lonely. Chances are there's a couple uh, they feel like no one really knows them. They feel like their relationships aren't really meaningful. God, give them the courage to step out and say, hey, I want to be a part of community. God, we love you. God, may the way we do relationships be a light in this world. Help us to have the humble servant mindset of Christ and help us to push back against that resistance and develop and grow the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.